that truth is, is that we need each other. You know, we need each other. We are a body. I belong to you and you belong to me. We belong to each other. And if we're going to go into the kingdom, we're going to go arm in arm together. And uh, we're going to go where we were meant to go arm in arm together. And so, you know, this is not an individual. Uh, this is not an individual path that the Lord has called us to. We have in, to make individual choices, but we were called to do this thing together. And so we have to get victory over sin together. We have to keep lifting each other up. We have to keep loving each other with the truth. And um, because no enemy is going to tell you the right, the, the devil and demonic powers are not going to tell you to stop doing wrong or to make good decisions. Um, the Bible says that the, the devil has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. He has absolutely no interest <clears throat> in the souls of men, only to take them away from God. And what we're fighting against is not people. We're not fighting with people. We're not fighting people. You know, when we look at our line, when we look at our, our generational line, our family tree, and we see all the dysfunction, the, the rape, abuse, the abandonment, the neglect, the um, the the incest, you know, the the uh, orphan being homeless, the you know, drug use, substance abuse, you know, we have to understand, and that and those curses are passed down to us, you know, passed down from one generation to the next. We have to understand that there are demons that are assigned to these families. These are old ones. These are these are demonic spirits that are assigned to sabotage the human family to keep them to keep us away from Christ. And that's what the that's what the devil has come to do. The, the devil and the demonic powers of his kingdom want to cut off every access point we have to Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. Every access point that we have to Yeshua through prayer, through fellowship, through studying the Bible, through um, through fasting, through uh, through s submission to Him, whatever access point we have to Christ, the devil wants to stop that. And so it's no wonder why we can become so resistant to change because it's not just us. The Bible says the print. Remember, we talked about last Sunday, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is not work and the sons of the disobedient Satan and the d demonic powers create a climate. They create an atmosphere, a cultural, a societal, a national atmosphere of rebellion against God to where rebellion just seems like it's in the air and water. It's everywhere you go. It's in TV. It's in music. It's in movies. It's in commercials. It's in the books that we're reading. It's all over this anti-God, anti-Christ message of turn your back on the Lord. Do what you want to do. Do which is the which is the uh, the main tenet of the Satanic Bible. Do what thou wilt. Do what you do. Whatever you want to do. And and we wonder, well, why does God allow that to happen? Why does why is God allowing this? To happen? Why is he allowing these demonic forces to uh, wreak havoc on our society the way that they are? And it's because the world must choose a side. Families must choose a side. Individuals must choose a side. 
either you're going to be on the Lord's side or you're going to be on the devil's side. Uh, Aaron, uh, uh, Moses said in the wilderness to the children of Israel, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And you find several such instances like that in the Bible where the true followers of God had to separate. Can you all hear me now? Is that better? I'm breaking up a little bit. Is that better? Let me let me let me change the phones and bring the other phone. You just give me one minute. Let me change and bring the other phone. Um, where the scripture says, "Whoever is on the Lord's side." come to me. And uh, so the Lord God of heaven is giving every man and woman and child the opportunity to make a choice between following the uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ or to follow Satan. And so the Lord allows situations to be dragged out, dragged out, dragged out, because everyone must have a choice. And we have to remember something that if we're seeing these generational curses passed down from one generation to the next, we have to know there are demonic powers involved in that, that are assigned to create, uh, create chaos, to create orphans. So that way they don't, they grow up not knowing what a father is like. And then when they don't grow up knowing what a father is like, it makes it very difficult for them to know what God is like because God is a father. No one, demons create situations where there's, you know, unwed mothers, unwed uh, um, uh, single parent households, alcoholism, drug abuse. Demons try to introduce pornography and every type of thing. They move people to do evil things to keep men away from God. And when men are faced with those situations, they have a choice to make. Either they're going to choose God or choose to follow that um, the path of Satan, and so thus continue to destroy their to destroy their family line. Um, I want to talk today. I want to continue our conversation today about how demons enter our lives, um, and uh, how demons enter our lives uh, by rejecting the Word of God. Demons enter our lives by rejecting by our rejecting the Word of God. When we reject the Word of God. We create openings for demons. And so we're going to look at why we reject the word of God. We're going to look at the consequences of rejecting the word of God. And uh, two examples um, of, of, of men, uh, a couple of examples of men in the scriptures who have done that and the consequences. So first, we're talking to believers because the Bible says that the, the, the church in the last days, in 2 Timothy he says in 2 Timothy in chapter, let's look real quick. This is not where I want to start, but I feel like going there. 2 Timothy in chapter um, 2, he talks about how in the last days, um, 
men, he says, men will be lovers of themselves. He says the, the church, let me, find, let me find that verse for you. Give me one second. Okay. Having a form of godliness. That is 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7. 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7. He says, but understand this. I'll start at verse 1. He said, but understand this, in the, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Who is he talking about there? Having an appearance of godliness, but denying the power. Who has the power except the church? Where is the power except in the church? The church of God is the only one that has the power. So what he's talking about here, these are ta he's talking about church people. He's talking about people who are going to be in the church and what's going to happen in the church. So how so this is who I'm this is who we're talking about. We're talking about us as believers because the Bible says that we're going to be judged First, and so this is what who my message is to. My, our, my message is to the church of God because the Bible says we are going to be the ones. Judgment will begin with the house of God. So the Bible talks about here, all of these characteristics are from people who are in the church. And so how does a born-again believer, this is about what I want to start with today, how does a born-again believer go from having the Spirit of God to being oppressed and possessed by demons or Satan. How is that? How is that possible? Is it possible? Do we find that in the word of God? And yes, we do. We find it happens when, uh, whenever we reject the word of God and we're going to look at King Saul and, uh, Judas Iscariot. Let's start with first Samuel. Let's look at first Samuel chapter 10 verses five through 10. And we're going to do uh, a deep dive on these men because Saul is a perfect example of what happens to somebody who has the Holy Spirit, who has been converted, and who makes the decision to reject the Word of God and comes under the influence of, of demonic powers. First Samuel in chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. So what are we looking at here in, these, in this verse is we're looking at Saul's Old Testament salvation experience. People like to say that uh, that people in the Old Testament were saved differently than uh, in the New. It's not exactly true. Yes, they had the sacrificial system. Yes, they had the temple. But they were saved in much the same way that we are, by grace through faith. They believed. They believed. They believed that the Messiah was coming. We believe that he came. So what were they doing? They were offering up sacrifices as types of the Messiah to come. Now, some of the same things... You, you find here an example of the, the same thing that happens to us also happened to King Saul. He says in verse, uh, here is Saul uh, telling, I mean, so here is Samuel telling Saul, 
you are going to be the next king. And he is anointing him king. He says in verse 5, he says, after that you shall come. He's telling them all of what's going to happen. And then verse 5, he says, after that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Verse 6, pay attention to this. Then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You see, that's exactly what happens to us. When we, when the Holy Spirit of God comes into us, we are turned into another person. We are born again. We are turned into another man, another woman. And that's precisely what happened to Saul. He says, the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. You will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Right now, these, now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds you to do for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. S uh, seven days you shall wait until I come to you and shall and show you what you shall do. Now, he, he Saul believed this. Saul believed him. Verse nine, when he turned his back to leave Samuel to do all the things that Samuel said do. Right. What happened? God gave him another heart. God changed him into another man. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. All of those, all of the, the signs of salvation happened to him. He says, verse, he says, and uh, verse nine, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. Verse 10, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him and he began prophet he, he, and he prophesied among them. You see all these signs of salvation, all these signs of salvation are happening to him. And so, uh, so he has a salvation experience in the old Testament. And what are the signs? First, God gave him another heart. Verse nine, verse 10, he prophesies. And the greatest sign of salvation is humility. We find later on that as, uh, that even though Samuel had promised him the kingdom, what happened uh, he didn't tell anybody about it. Verse 16 says, when his uncle asked him uh, about what happened to him, where did he go? Saul told him about the donkeys. Hey, the donkeys are found. Don't worry about it. But about the matter of being anointed king, he didn't say anything about it. That's humility. You keep your um, honors and accomplishments and things to yourself. Uh, later on, when he's about to be crowned king, when he's announced king in verse 21 through 22, he hid himself from the crowd when he was being announced. Uh, verse 27, when, he, when some people rejected his kingship, he did not retaliate. They, they said in verse 27, he said, but some worthless fellow said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. So he's being anointed. Men are, uh, men are saying, we don't uh, want him as king. How can he save us? But he didn't retaliate. He kept his mouth shut. He didn't say anything back. Um, verse 11, uh, chapter 11 and five, uh, you can just write these down. Don't worry about turning to them because it's a lot, but first Samuel 11 and five, what was he found doing as King, even after Samuel, even after Saul was anointed King, what is he doing? He's found doing the lowly work of a farmer, even after he's anointed King, um, verse 
in uh, verse uh, chapter 11, verses 12 through 13, after he defeats his enemies in battle, uh, some people had recommended that the folks who rejected his kingship should be killed. And Saul said, no, nobody is dying today. So you find Saul having this Old Testament salvation experience. You find him exhibiting the signs of salvation. The spirit of the Lord is coming upon him. He's prophesying. He is uh, he is humble which is as i said the greatest sign of salvation is that you are under you are humbling yourself you are lowering yourself you are not um seeking your own you are you're not seeking to get revenge or seeking to honor yourself then something happens to saul saul rejects the word of god twice and everything about saul's life changes Everything about his life changes. He is, he is, he goes from having this wonderful salvation experience. He goes from being humble. He all, he's, he's going down the right path. Then all of a sudden his life takes this drastic turn. It takes a drastic turn. And what happened? What happened to Saul? Look at first Samuel chapter 13. Look at first Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel chapter 13 and verse eight. 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 8. What happened to Saul? How did Saul go from being filled with the Holy Spirit, from prophesying, from being humble, to being the Saul that we know, hunting David, trying to get rid of David, the anointed one? What happened? He rejected the word of God. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 through 5, he says this. Now he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said, you have done foolishly. Now, this is opportunity number one. Saul rejects the word of God. This is the first time he rejects the word. The, the Lord through Samuel told him to wait. He said, wait for me. And God tells us the exact same thing. Wait for me. Now, why do we reject the word of God? Why do we reject the word of the Lord? For the same reason that he does. Because it's, it's com convenience. Oftentimes we reject the word of God because it's inconvenient for us to do the thing that God tells us to do, to make the kind of changes that God commands us to make, to, to wait for him instead of trying to be proud and arrogant and force our way, force our will, force what we want to happen. Instead of trying to wait for God to change our husband or change our wife, we try to manipulate them or we'll, you know, rebel or campaign or whatever. We'll try to manipulate. We'll try to co coerce them to do what we want them to do. You know, instead of um, waiting for God to bless you with a particular thing that you that you need, you know, we rush 
to, you know, to do it our own way, to go into debt or to, to get it from trying to get it from somebody who God didn't intend for us to get it from. It's, it's convenience. It's, it's too, it's convenient for me to continue to live my life the way that I want to live it, even though the scriptures speak against what I'm doing. It's plain. The Bible says I shouldn't be doing this, but it's just too inconvenient for me to change my life right now. It's too inconvenient for me to, to give, to pay my, to give tithe and offering. It's too inconvenient for me to help my brother to make sacrifices, to get up late because my brother or sister needs to talk. It's too inconvenient for me to do these things, to obey what God God says, God says, give up this thing. I, it's, it's, but it's more convenient for me, Lord, because I spent all this money. I spent all this money on this stuff. Lord, I can't, I can't give it up. It's just too inconvenient. So one of the reasons why we reject the word of God is because of convenience. We reject the word of God for convenience. Don't do that. We reject the word of God for convenience. That's what we do. You need to have respect for the word of God. Do you understand? We reject the word. We reject the word of God because of convenience, inconvenient. Yeah, because of convenience. It was more convenient for Saul. The pressures of the the pressures of the circumstance, the pressures of the circumstance. Uh, he felt like it would be easier for him if I just do it. Why wait for God? Why wait for the Lord? Why, why do it his way when I when, when a situation all around me is saying you should do something, you should do something quick, do something, do something, act, don't wait for God. And that's what Saul did. Saul looked at the situation instead of looking at what the Lord said, because what the Lord said is what was absolute. The situation was temporary, but what God said was absolute. It would, it would have been forever. It had, it had eternal, a forever consequence on him. It's just the same thing with Peter. When the Lord told Peter to come, that was a command. Come to me. My word is the absolute reality. It, situations don't matter. My word is what's going to stand. No matter what the situation is, the word of the Lord will stand. No matter how long it seems like a person's getting away with something, you're not getting away with it because the word of God will stand. We will reap what we sow. The word of God will stand. What God said is what will happen. Whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next year or 10 years or five, 15 years, it doesn't matter. The word of God will stand. And so Saul, because he didn't believe God's word, what did he do? He forced himself. He looked at the situation instead of God, just like Peter. Jesus commanded him to walk on the water. What did he do? He came out. He started out in faith. But then what happened? Just like Saul, you started looking around. You started looking around. It's more convenient for me to look around at the situation than it is for me to do what Jesus says. I know, for example, if, if it's easier, it's, it's more convenient for me to lie on my taxes. It's more convenient for me. I made a mistake at work, but it's more convenient for me to cover that up so nobody knows what I did instead of me just being forthright and honest saying, I did this. It's more, it's more convenient for me to blame somebody else for my sins and my problems and my wrong decisions than it is for me to own up to what I did and to be honest and, and deal with the consequences of my choices and continue to grow and be more holy. It's more convenient to blame my husband and blame my wife for my misery instead of being holy in myself and working out the sinful things that are in me. 
It's a lot easier to argue than to submit. A lot easier to fight than submit. A lot easier, more convenient for me to not listen and, and go to somebody else than it is to try to work it out with that person. You see, convenience will cause you to reject the word of God. It will cause you to reject it. If you're, if you're thinking about how I can be convenient, uh, what, what's, what's more convenient for me, you will reject God's word. And that's what Saul did. Saul said it was more convenient for me to do the sacrifice than it is to wait on the man of God, just like the Lord told me. So our, our sense of convenience will cause us to reject the word of God. Then, second thing that happened that caused Saul to reject the word of God is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We have to be very careful that uh, be very careful that we analyze and 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 do a, and think about our ways. Are there certain parts of the Bible that we don't want to listen to because they're just too inconvenient for us? Is there something in the scriptures that the Lord has been telling us that is wrong, that he sent people to tell you that you're wrong, that he's told you personally that you're wrong, that you see it in the scriptures, but you just believe it's just too inconvenient to make the change? If that's the case, we got to repent of that. And we have to be done with our inconvenience. Inconvenience will send you straight to hell. None of what Jesus Christ told his apostles to do was inconvenient. Jesus walked hundreds of miles. He walked hundreds of miles. They slept outside. Sometimes they, they I'm sure they didn't have as much food to eat. All I mean, the life of the apostles and the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ was very inconvenient. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. That is very inconvenient. Do everything without complaining, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That is very inconvenient. Wives, submit to your husbands in all things uh, uh, as unto the Lord. That is very inconvenient. Very inconvenient. Wait for the Lord always. Wait for the Lord always always wait for him always that's very inconvenient but guess what that's the bible and if you want to stay within the will of the lord jesus you will wait for him and you will do what he tells you to do otherwise you're choosing the other side so we have to be careful of that now the second instance of samuel of saul forgive me re rejecting the word of god is in first samuel chapter 15 and we're going to look at uh verses 24 through 30 now just because it's a story, I have to give you the context of what exactly happened. So <clears throat> the Lord had noted, again, this is, goes back to what we were talking about before, just on a quick sidebar, how the Lord always keeps the score. It doesn't matter how long it seems like the, a person can do wrong. I can do wrong. I'll just say myself. I can do wrong, do wrong, do wrong, do wrong, do wrong. And it seems like nothing is happening. And we look at these things. These are human things. Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? Well, the Lord is letting it go on for a reason because, for one, he's giving people a chance to choose him. He's given that person a chance to repent. And and he's also being merciful and delaying their judgment. So you see with uh, with uh, and this is the case here. Um, God had wanted had waited all the way up until King Saul to destroy Amalek. Amalek was the group of people that came up and attacked Israel when Israel was coming up out of Egypt in the wilderness. They were the first group to attack Israel, the very first to attack Israel coming out of Egypt. 
And so the Lord vowed, he said, I will be at war from Amalek from generation to generation. His name, he will be blotted out from the face of the earth. That was God's promise. You guys, you people are history. You Amaleks are done. You're, there's not going to be any more of you ever. And so, but did God get them in Joshua's time? Absolutely not. God waited some four or 500 years during, the, during King Saul's time to finally do something about Amalek. And so what does God tell Saul? God tells Saul in 1 Samuel 15, he tells Saul through the prophet Samuel, you are to go and wipe these people out completely. Destroy everything. Now is the time. He says, I have noted what Amalek has done to the children of Israel. It is time for these people to go. Now, when I say destroy everything, he says, I mean everything. There is nothing that's supposed to come out. It's just you. You destroy everything, man, woman, child, beast. Nothing is to come out. And what happened? The Bible says that they did not obey that commandment. Just real quick, he says, uh, God, God, he, he, the Bible says in verse 7, And Saul defeated the Amalek, Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And verse 8, And he took Agag, the king and, uh, of the Amaleks, Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fattened calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So in other words, what, it said, what was the word of God to uh, Saul? The word of God to Saul was kill everything, destroy everything. Nothing's supposed to come out with you. Kill everything. But what did they do? Instead of listening to what the Lord said, they took of the good things. They took of the so-called the fattened calf and spared the king alive. Things God said, do not do. And so... Uh, we, we hear the famous confrontation between Samuel and Saul, verse 22, has not, we know the famous verse says the Lord uh, delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and obeying the, obeying the voice of the Lord to obey is better than sacrifice and so on. Now, verse 24 is what I'm trying to get at here. Why did Saul reject the word of God again? The second time, verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I, and this is my the way after he made a million excuses. I did do what you said. I did follow your instructions. I did carry out the mission that the Lord sent me. You see, and that's that's a sign that you rejected the word. When you start making excuses for doing wrong, you have rejected God's word. Saul made a million excuses before he finally admitted in verse 24 that he sinned. He, Saul said to Samuel, but why? Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I rejected the word of God because I feared the people. I feared the people. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. One of the reasons and one of the primary reasons why we reject God's word, the hard cutting truth exposing truth of God's word is because we fear what people will do and what people will say and if we are honest with ourselves we would be we would we would realize that that 
thing has a greater hold on us than we are willing to acknowledge. There's a reason why we won't go but so far with the Lord Jesus because we are afraid of separating from the group and the group identifying us as separate. We're afraid of the ridicule. We're afraid of people picking on us. We're afraid of the rejection. We're afraid of being ostracized, alienated. We're not getting invited to the Liberian gatherings. We're not being invited to the dinners. We're not getting phone calls. Oh, we're not being invited because we're taking a stand for God. And that's how many believers live their life. They live their life in a, in a, in a limited fashion, in a way that's, that's not offensive They want to live this inoffensive life that doesn't offend anybody because they are afraid of what people will say and do. And that has been the a curse on Christians for I mean, that has been that has been a problem for believers all the way back to the first century. Afraid of dying, afraid of rejection, afraid of ridicule, afraid of being put out of the church, afraid of not uh, of not of not being able to preach. Oh, well, you know, if I don't preach this particular message, this particular way, then um, I, I can't, you know, then, then, the, then the lead the head pastor is going to sit me down if I don't preach in a particular way. Or if, if I don't join this group, you know, if, if I don't go with them, you know, if I, everybody's going to the movies to see this filthy thing, killing, cussing and sex in it. But, you know, if I don't go, then they're going to they're going to pick on me and say, oh, you're just a goody two shoes. Oh, you you think you're better than us. You think you're more holy than us. Oh, you know, if, if I don't go along with the group, then I'm going to be ostracized. And, and that's how many pastors are now. That's how many leaders and believers are now. They want to go along to get along because they are afraid of what the people will say. So they water down the message of holiness. They water down the truth. They don't want to live holy. They don't want to be disciplined. They don't want to take a stand for nothing. They don't want to do that because they're so scared of what people will say and what people will do. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. Saul disobeyed, blatantly disobeyed the word of God, rejected the word of God because he was afraid of the army. And he was afraid that the army more than likely would would, uh, reject him and ultimately might even overthrow him, perhaps. He didn't want grumbling in the army because he saw his strength in the military and in the people instead of the Lord. And that's our problem. When we reject the word of the Lord for fear of the people, we're seeing people as our strength instead of the Lord being our strength. And the Bible says, cursed is the man who trusts in man, who relies on flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the living God. What do you think all fraternities and sororities are? What do you think Freemasonry is? What do you think Illuminati and all that stuff, the Elks, the Moose, what do you think all that stuff is? All that stuff is the arm, uh, trusting in the arm of man, trusting in the strength of man, joining these clubs, these anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-holy groups and clubs and trying to make a name for yourself. Why? Because you, you, you see men as your strength instead of God. And if we see men as our strength, you and I will not be obedient and submitted to the will of Jesus for our life. Because if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus, Paul warns Timothy of this. He says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not an option. 
It's not even a thought. Paul tells you plainly, if you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you are going to suffer persecution. If you are not suffering persecution, you need to check and see if you are living a holy life. If you've never suffered persecution before, if you've never suffered rejection, if you're not suffering rejection, if you're not suffering persecution of some kind or another, if you're not, you need to check and see if you are living a truly holy and godly life. You need to check. You need to check. You need to check your salvation. Check and see, Lord, how am I living? Because if people are, if, if everybody likes me, the Bible tells you that woe to you when everybody likes you. Jesus says that woe to you when everybody likes you for so they did the false prophets. If everybody likes you, you're not living holy. People are supposed to, there, there is supposed, Jesus says, I, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I come to pit a man against his brother, uh, a, a, a father against mother, so on. He says, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Because Jesus Christ is a device, the truth and holiness that he brings is divisive. It's divisive. So the fear of men, if you are afraid of telling people what they don't want to hear or telling people that they cannot have what they want or standing against the wrong that people want to do, you will reject the word of God. If you're afraid of confrontation, how many of us are afraid of confrontation? How many times do I hear that? I don't like conflict. I don't like confrontation. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. Honey, brother, sister, this is war. And if you're not going to wage war, for Jesus and on, on his behalf, <clears throat> trying to, to live a holy life, then what's going to happen is, is you're going to ultimately reject his word. Because Jesus makes the point plain. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. There is no middle ground. Either you're for Jesus or you're not. One of the two. Either what you're watching is for Jesus or it's not. Where you're going is either for Jesus or it's not. Who you're hanging around with, you're either taking a stand for Jesus or you're not. The way that you dress, you're either taking a stand for Jesus or you're not. Talking about our holy women covering up their bodies. Oh, you you want you want uh, you want us to look like Islam. You want us to look like a we're like we're like we're Muslim women. No, no. Or, or what will they say of me? I might stand out too much. No, 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 no. God has called us to be separate. Second Corinthians chapter six, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you, says the Lord, and you will be my sons and daughters, says God. First, the separation comes. Then the father, son, father, daughter relationship happens between us and God. So if we fear men, we're going to reject the word of God. So first thing, convenience, we reject the word of God for the sake of convenience because change is too, we, we see change is too, too inconvenient. You know, we, I think it's the um, AAA or AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous have this saying, when the pain of change is less than the pain of saying the same, you'll change. Well, Oftentimes we haven't felt enough pain yet to make the change. So we want to stay with the convenient thing until something catastrophic comes. But if we, if we live for what is convenient, you will reject the word of God. If you live to please men, you will, you will reject the word of God. If you fear people and what they will say and what they will do and rejecting you, you will reject the word of God. Now, the Bible says in, in chapter, uh, 
uh, after uh, in verse 25 of 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, 25. He said, well, go back to 24 real quick. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, pay attention to this, to this verse. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. He says, but you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen he says, you are a, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I want to get the quote right. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, that means Kings and priests, that's what royal is, a king, royal priesthood, and a holy nation. So if I reject the word of God as a king, as a member of the royal priesthood, then God will reject me just as he rejected Saul. If we reject the word of the Lord because, we, because it's too inconvenient or because we're worried about people, what people are going to say, the Lord God of heaven will reject me and will reject us just like he rejected Saul. You find the same thing in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. Y'all, we've got to be careful. I'm, I'm preaching this message because we must be careful not to reject God's word. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. A famous verse, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. <clears throat> when I reject knowledge, the knowledge of God, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to obey it. I don't want to listen to it. I want to do what I want to do and go my own way. The Lord says he will reject you and me from being priests for him. And that is not what we want. Now, this is the point I was trying to get at all along here. After Saul had rejected the after Saul had rejected the word of God twice because it was too inconvenient for him to obey and because he was worried about what people would say and think about him. What happened to him? Something happened to Saul. A change happened. A very, very, very drastic and important change happened. Look in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. What happened after Saul rejected the word of God for the second time? And it's not that he didn't get warned. It's not that the prophet didn't tell him what to do because he, he knew what to do and he chose against it. What happened to him? A change happened to him, and it's the same change that will happen to us if we reject the word, if we keep rejecting the word of God. First Samuel 16 and 14, he says, Now the Spirit of the Lord, the same spirit we have, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. 
So part one, the first thing that happened to Saul after he rejected the word of God twice, what happened to him, the first drastic, life-changing, eternally significant change that happened to him first was that the spirit of the Lord left him. God left him. Boom. His whole life changed. The source of life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, um, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, all of it, gone, gone, just like that. The Holy Spirit and all his goodness, all the holiness, all the love and wonder that is the Holy Spirit in our life, all that was taken away from Saul. And then what took its place, what replaced it? He says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul first and a harmful or an evil spirit from the Lord, sent from the Lord, a demon, a demonic spirit from the Lord. And the Bible says an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. It tormented Saul. Some of us are wondering, why is it that we don't have any peace? Why don't we have peace of mind? Why don't we have peace in our home? Why, why is it that we're so erratic and so we, we're, we're so imbalanced? We can't, we're, we're angry all the time. We're full of wrath all the time. Why? Because it's, you're being tormented. <clears throat> if the spirit of God is not there, what has replaced it is a demon. And you are being tormented by that demon. Because somewhere along the line, you have rejected the word of the Lord. And so Saul was tormented. And we find from chapter 16 all the way up to 31, Saul spends years and years and years trying to destroy the one who has the anointing, which is David. And the Bible says that he also was raving in his house. That means pro prophesying falsely. He, Saul was so deceived that he literally thought that God was on his side against David. That's how, that's how deceived that demon spirit, that evil spirit had him thinking that God was on his side when he left him long ago. And that's how it is with many of us. Many of us think that God is still, is still working on our behalf, is still on our side when God has left long ago because we rejected his word. We rejected it too many times for Saul. It was too many times he rejected the word of God. And so what happened? God gave him over. You look at Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. You find the same refrain over and over. God gave them up. God gave them over because they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God in their heart. God gave them up to a reprobate mind. God handed him over. So this is one example of what happens when we reject the word of the God, word of the Lord out of convenience and the fear of men. I want us to look at a, another example. We're going to look at uh, two more examples and we're going to look at this real quick because the time is running out here. We're going to look at the next example we're going to look at is Judas Iscariot. We're going to look at Judas Iscariot. Look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. Now, in this passage of Scripture, 
what we find is our Lord Jesus calling the 12 disciples. He's calling the 12 disciples. And what does he do? In, uh, in verse 1, he says, And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority to do what? On, over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every disease and affliction. Now, we already know what this means. We know that this means that they had the Holy Spirit because Jesus even says it before when they, call, when they accused him of being uh, driving out demons by, by another demon. That's what they accused him of. Jesus already told them, he says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, and in another uh, gospel, it says the finger of God, <clears throat> it's the spirit. We know that they, God, our Lord Jesus Christ gave them the spirit, the Holy Spirit to have this kind of power and ability to heal. So he says he, uh, he gave them power to cast out unclean spirits, to cast, to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, the names of the 12 who were given this power, Simon first, <clears throat> Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and who else? Judas Iscariot. So Judas Iscariot had the spirit. I don't care what anybody says. Judas Iscariot had the spirit. Not only did he have the spirit, he also had a very important position in the first church, he had he had a he had a uh, he had a very significant position in the church. And look at John chapter twelve to see what his position was in the first church, which is Jesus and his disciples. In the first church, Judas Iscariot had a very important position. So you have a man who is who has the Holy Spirit and who has a very important position in the church. And John chapter 12, verse six, the woman is pouring out alabaster oil or I'm sorry, uh, pouring out the ointment on um, Jesus's feet and wiping it with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples one of his disciples, meaning he was following Jesus. One of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Verse six, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here you have Judas Iscariot, who was not only who not only had the Holy Spirit, but who was in charge of the finances of the church, which is an extremely important position because all the disciples depended upon Judas to be sure that their needs were taken care of. These men were following Jesus and still had families. They still had families they needed to take care of. Peter had a wife he needed to take care of. He wasn't fishing because he was following Jesus. So Judas Iscariot had a very important position in the church. He had the spirit. He had an important position in the church. But what happened to Judas later on? The Bible tells us what was he doing in spite of having that position? He was sitting up under. He was sitting directly under the word of God. You have the word of God personified right there in Jesus. 
Jesus himself, God manifested in the flesh, the word of God manifested in the flesh is teaching you directly. And what are you doing for those three years? Are you obeying what he's telling you? Are you repenting for, for sins? Are you trying to align your life with his life? Oh, no, that's not what he was doing. What does the Bible says he was doing? He, because having charge of them, he says uh, in verse six, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was stealing, sitting up under the word of God and stealing from God. Stealing from his people. He was, he had rejected the word of the Lord. The words that were coming from Jesus's mouth. He was sitting right there and rejected it. That's how you can do that. The only way you can steal is by rejecting the word of God. So he says, having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. All that time, all those years, all those miracles, all that time, you had seen what Jesus was doing sitting up under his teaching. And what are you doing? You're stealing. Now, after so many years of that, after so many years of that, what happened to Judas? The spirit of God left him. And verse 21 through 27 tells you what took his place. Turn to John 13 and 21. After so many years of saying no to Jesus and after so many years of rejecting his word, stealing from Jesus, rejecting his word, doing what you want to do, what happened to him? The spirit of God left him and then something else took its place. Exactly. The devil. Uh, John chapter 13 and verse 21. After saying these things. Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. After he had taken the morsel, how does Satan enter into the life of somebody who is a follower of Jesus, who is around Jesus? How is that possible? Because you rejected the word of God and kept going your own way. That's how somebody who could who could have the Holy Spirit, who could have a position in the church, who could be a follower of Jesus. That is how you become demonically possessed and oppressed when you reject the word of God. You done rejected it too many times. You done went your own way too many times and the Holy Spirit is gone. So many of these churches think that they're operating under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been left because nobody's doing what the Bible says. Nobody's following the, hearing what the preacher is saying and applying it to their life. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. They're deceiving themselves. James chapter one even says it. He says, do not be merely hearers of the word and so deceive yourself. Be a doer. Here you are thinking that you're saved. Here you are thinking the Lord is with you and working on your side. Here you're, you're thinking that and the Holy Spirit has been gone because you're not doing what he says. You're sitting in here hearing the word of God, hearing the messages preached, hearing the hard truths, hearing the truth from the scripture, seeing it for yourself, and you're still going your own way. 
And we're all potential victims of that. Me included. I always include myself first. I'm the main one who has to do what the Bible says because I'm a main culprit. As a preacher of the, of the gospel, I'm held to a stricter standard than everybody else. Any preacher is. And so here you are thinking that God is with you. God is moving on your behalf and he's not because you're not obeying. You've deceived yourself. And so here Judas Iscariot is thinking that everything's okay because he's sitting up under the teachings of Jesus. He's sitting up here teaching under the, the teachings of the Lord, seeing the miracles. He, nobody ever said about Judas, his demons aren't being cast out. Oh, I thought there was something different about Judas. His demons no, were, aren't, weren't being cast out when he prayed in the name of Jesus and laid hands and cast the demon out. They didn't come out. No, Judas's demons ca came out just like all the other apostles when they, when they uh, cast out demons. When somebody was sick, and Judas laid his hands on them, they were healed just like all the other 12, 11. But what happened after so many years of rejecting, 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 rejecting the word of God and not doing it, what happened? The Holy Spirit left and what took its place was Satan. The Bible says in verse 27 of, first of John 13, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. It wasn't oppression. It was possession. Satan entered into him and drove him to betray Jesus. And that's how we can be. Now, we learn something from this, from Judas Iscariot. Why do we reject the word of God for material gain? We reject the word of God for material gain. Why do you think all these famous people are rejecting God? Because they're standing against God to get money from the world. Because Satan offers to everybody the same thing he offered Jesus. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down and worship me. It's simple. It's the same deal he offers to everybody. If, you, if you'll bow down and worship Satan, you'll get all the, uh, the love of the world and all the riches of the world and all that. But Jesus makes the point plain. Well, you can do that, but guess what? What, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Because that's exactly what's going to happen. You gain the whole world and you end up going straight to hell. And that's what all these famous people, all these musicians and artists and all these people who sold their soul to the devil, they took the deal. That's what they did. They sought material gain. And so because they sought material gain, they rejected the word of God. And that's what they thought by rejecting the word of God. Hey, I can get rich in the world. And Judas took the same thing. I, Judas took the same deal that Satan offered Jesus. How much money will you give me to betray him? 30 pieces of silver? Okay, fine. I can get some money by betraying Jesus. And that's why we reject the word of God. We reject the word of God because, hey, if, I, if the Lord sends me somewhere, it might mess up the money. If the Lord tells me to give something up, it might mess up the money. It might mess up my status. It might make me have to, have to lose, have to, have to lower my, my economic status just a little bit. I might not be able to eat at the nice places I want to eat. I might not be able to drive the car that I want to drive. I might not be able to live in the house I want to live in. I might not be able to get, get that raise. You know, they say lie on this form and, and we'll all get bonuses on the job. Well, I can't lie, so I guess we're just not going to get the bonus. You see, just, just put your signature here and just word the story like this and just, you know, just try to fudge it just a little bit to where, you know, it looks like this and we can all get paid and da-da-da. 
And somebody will say, well, hey, you know, well, but the Lord says, you know, uh, liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. But, well, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a bonus and I need I got bills to pay and, you know, and so on. So I'm just going to lie and the Lord will forgive me and, you know, we'll just move on so everybody can get the bonus or the raise. So we reject the Lord. We reject the word of God for the sake of material gain. That's what we're looking at with all the art world, all the entertainment industry. They have rejected the word of God for the sake of material gain. All right. Let's close with, um, I want to look at just real quick, Jeremiah, we're going to look at two verses really fast because my time's up. Jeremiah 42, look at Jeremiah chapter 42. Jeremiah 42. And to me, this is the greatest reason why we reject the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 42. And um, and actually look at 43. Look at look at 43. And then I'm going to read 40. I'm going to just give you the backstory here. So really quick. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys Jerusalem because of their sins and rebellion against God, right? Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem. Uh, the, the leader who Nebuchadnezzar installs in Jerusalem, he's killed by uh, a man, by, an, by Ishmael. He's killed by him, and he escapes to Ammon. And there are, there are men, there are soldiers who are afraid of what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do because the man that he put in there is, has been killed. So they're like, well, let's run. Let's, 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 we, we got to do something. So they go to Jeremiah and say, pray for us as to what should we should do. Should we stay? Should we go? We're thinking about going to Egypt because we don't want Nebuchadnezzar to re to invade the land again because the person who we install has been killed. And so Jeremiah says, I will pray. Okay. He says, but now when I pray, you better be prepared for the answer. When I pray for you, you better be prepared to accept the answer that I give you. And he already knew that they weren't. So he prays for them and God tells them through Jeremiah, do not go down to Egypt. Stay right there in the land and I'm going to bless you and protect you. Neb don't be afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to hurt you. What do they say to him? Ver uh, Jeremiah 43. When Jeremiah, look at verse one, when Jeremiah finished speaking to the people, all these words of the Lord, their God, with which the Lord, their God has sent him to them, Azariah, the son of Hoshiah and Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. The Lord, our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. Now, you just told me to pray for you, asking, ask God for you as to what you should do. The Lord gave me the answer. Jeremiah saying the Lord gave me the answer. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay in Israel. Do not go to Egypt. I tell you what the Lord tells me and you do what? Tell me that I'm lying because you have already made it up in your mind that you want to go down to Egypt. And he tells you that in, uh, uh, in, 20, um, 
in, 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 in 42, 19. He says, the Lord has said to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know for certain that I have warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your lives. For you sent me to the Lord your God saying, pray to us, to the, pray for us, to the Lord our God. And whatever the Lord our God says, tell us and we will do it. And I have this day told it to you. I've declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God in anything that he sent me to tell you. You see, he already said that before chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. He already told them that. He says, you already have your mind made up as to what you want to do. And that is the main reason why we reject the word of God, because People have their minds already made up that they're going to do what they want to do. So there's no amount of word of God that can change that. They already have their plan. They already have their uh, scheme, how their, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions, and they will not allow anything to dissuade them from that. And that is the primary reason why we reject God's word, because we have a plan. We have a goal. We have an agenda that we want to fulfill. And we don't want to submit our agenda to God. And it's like the Bible says in Hebrews in chapter 11, when talking about Moses, he says, Moses would rather suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of, of uh, the temporary pleasures of sin. And that's where most of us are. We would rather enjoy the temporary pleasure of doing our will, of following our plan, of fulfilling our goals, dreams, and ambitions, of doing what we want to do, the temporary pleasures of that, rather than the eternal, wonderful blessedness of doing what the Lord wants us to do in this life, even if it means suffering for it. We don't want to suffer. Our plan does not involve suffering. Our plan does not involve sacrifice. Our plan does not involve denying yourself. Our plan always involves self-indulgence. And so we want to follow our plan. And that's exactly what they did here. And that is the number one reason why we reject God's word is because we already have our minds made up that we, that we want to follow our plan. Now, last verse. The danger in all this is there is a warning if you're not warned yet from all this Bible that has been given to you, let this last verse be a warning to all of us. And let it be a warning to me first. Because it needs to be me first. I want to apply the scriptures to my life first before I try to apply it to somebody else. Now, Really quick, Amaziah had defeated the Edomites in battle. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14. Turn to your Bibles, one more verse, the very last verse. Second Chronicles uh, 25 and verse 14. Thank you all for bearing with me as we break this stuff down. My time has run out. Second, Second Chronicles chapter 25 and verse 14. He says this, uh, after Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites. This is King Amaziah. He had a victory. He said, after Am King Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshiped them. So here you are, you sit up here, beat, you just defeated a people, and then you take their gods 
that who you just defeated and you worship them. And so he says, he says, he set them up as his gods and worship them. We're in second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14, second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14. He says, after Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshiped them, making offerings to them. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet who said to him, why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, now look at what he could have done. He had an option here. He could have either repented and humbled himself and said, you're right, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was filled up with pride. Lord, may the Lord forgive me and have mercy on me. How can I make it right? He could have said that, but no, no, that would have been, that would have been too much of the right thing to do. He says, but as he was speaking, the king said to him, have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? Now listen to the prophet's response. You see now, did he listen? Did, did King Amaziah listen to the word of the Lord? No, he did not. He rejected the word of God. He said, stop. Who made you a royal counselor? Why should you be struck down? Why you keep talking to me? Who, who, made, you in, who made you my advisor? So the prophet stopped but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. You see, when we don't listen to the counsel of the word of God, when we don't listen to the men of God that he sends in our life to help us, when we don't listen to the women of God who God sends into our life to help us, when we don't respond to the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, when we find every excuse in the book to do the wrong thing, when we're afraid because when we don't want to change because it's too inconvenient, because we're afraid of what people think, or because we think we can get some material gain, when we reject the word of God because of the these things uh, and because we have our own plan for our life when we reject the word of God because of these things it is because and we keep going in that direction we must know that God has determined to destroy us if we keep going in that direction it is guaranteed it is guaranteed we must we must be certain of this that God is determined to destroy us because we have done this and not listened to his counsel. Though rejecting the word of God is very serious, brothers and sisters. God even said this. Jesus even said this. If somebody rejects the talking to his disciples, he said, if somebody rejects your word, wipe the dust off your feet and move on. He says it will be more tolerable. For Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment, then for that town. Rejecting the word of God is very serious because let me tell you something. God doesn't care about po culture, politics, government, this and that. God cares about souls and all those things are a means to get those souls. That's what the Lord is after. He is after souls. He is after souls. That is his agenda all the time. Getting people to choose him. Getting people to choose him. Every single circumstance we experience in life, every single circumstance we experience in the world, every single circumstance we see in politics and culture and society, economics, finance, whatever. Every single situation, good, bad, disastrous, every single situation is so people can come to Jesus. Every single thing. 
is to point people to Jesus and to get people to come to Jesus because God is not about trying to preserve the country and preserve the governments and preserve all that. All this stuff is going to be destroyed anyway. The Lord is not after that. He is after human souls. And the primary way he gets to those souls is through his word. That is what he chose. The word of God made flesh and in the word of God spoken. So we, we, when we reject what he's trying to do, when we reject his outreach to us, and we keep doing it, the outcome is going to be our destruction. Now, why am I saying this? And I'm, I'm done. Why am I saying this? I am saying this, brothers and sisters, because we are a body. We belong to each other. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to each other. We are parts of each other. We are supposed to be going into the kingdom of God as a church, arm in arm, together, in submission, in holiness, in love, in obedience together. We need each other. I need you. I need you to do the right thing and be obedient to the word of God so I can do it. One hand washes the other. One, hand, one, one arm strengthens the other. We must take heed to the word of God and stop pussyfooting and dilly-dallying and making excuses for not doing it. Stop that. Stop all this excuse making. What, whatever sacrifices got to be made, we've got to be willing to make them and ask the Lord, Lord, help me to make these changes in my life that are not just for me, but for my children, for my family, for anybody who I encounter so they can come to Jesus because that is the goal is to be like Jesus. So let's not reject the word of God under no circumstances. May we, may we, may we take a stand on his word and never under any circumstances reject anything that he tells us no matter what it costs us. And we, and we pray for the grace for all of us. Let's pray in the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father, we pray for the grace right now, Lord, to never, ever, under any circumstances, reject your word, Lord. I, I just pray that you would give us grace because there's so much foolishness and so much ignorance and so much rebelliousness and hard-heartedness and darkness in us, Lord, that we're still fighting to get out. Lord, please don't let us make the full mistake of rejecting your word of God, anything but that, anything but that. We don't want to ever reject your word, Lord. We're not perfect. We're, we're striving, Father. We're trying to do it together. We're trying, to, we're trying to work through our issues. We're trying to be holy, Lord. But Lord God, whatever it takes, please don't ever let us reject what you tell us. But may we humbly submit and obey what you command. Help us, God. Each one, all of us, we all have a sinful nature, Lord. We all have a sinful nature that drives us away from you. Lord, please help us. Give us the grace right now to embrace, submit, give up, give in, give over, lay down before your word, Heavenly Father, and never, ever reject it. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, brothers, for, brothers and sisters, for bearing with me.